0: Hello, and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This is our premier podcast episode, and the episode is brought to you by Independent Pharmacy Alliance, IPA. IPA is a trade association and buying group representing 3,700 independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now serves 3,700 independent community pharmacies across the United States and offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education. Free of charge to members, the IPA team consists of 12 full-time staff to serve the membership by lowering their cost of goods and increase their margins and sales volume. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. And I'd like to welcome my very first guest to my very first podcast, Tony Manitti, who is a pharmacist and pharmacy owner. He owns Bell Pharmacy in Camden, New Jersey. Bell Pharmacy has been open since the 1930s in Camden, and we're going to talk to Tony about some leading industry trends. We're going to tackle pharmacy benefit manager reform, and we're going to talk about something that Tony's really an expert in, which is all the new vaccination issues uh, for pharmacists to follow. So, Tony, welcome to the show, and thanks for being my first guest.
1: Thanks for having me, Anthony. It's quite an honor. I hope this is the first of many in the series. I, I hope so, too.
0: And Tony, it's an honor for me to have you on. You're an unbelievable person. You've done incredible work You've been recognized in the field of pharmacy. You've really done some incredible and forward-looking things for independent pharmacy, and I can't wait for our new listeners to hear some of the things that you've been doing, some of the things that you've been working on. But before we get started, I wanted to ask you, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us a little bit about your personal professional background, and give us some of
1: the history of Bell Pharmacy. Sure, I guess we could start off with me. I'm a 1993 graduate of Philadelphia College of Pharmacy and Science. Uh, Now it's USP. I came to work in Camden at my grandfather's drugstore, and I was 14 years old in 1984, and I've been there ever since. I was an elected official in my hometown of Cinnaminson for 16 years. I did four one-year terms as mayor, retiring uh, in 2018. Uh, And after a little bit of time off, It was great to be able to refocus all my energy on our business, Bell Pharmacy, of course, but also to improving uh, the condition of independent pharmacy in general. You know, in politics, you learn a little bit about process and a little bit how things are done. Yes, I do know how the sausage is made. And now it's, it's great to be able to put those life's lessons to work for improving our profession.
0: Tell us a little bit about Camden. A lot of listeners may not be familiar with Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey has a lot of unique challenges and really rich history. It's overcome a lot, many years, but give us an idea about Camden, the role that you've played with patients, the local community, and some of the local activist groups and healthcare organizations at Camden.
1: Sure. I'd hate to compare it negatively, but think of a smaller version of Detroit, and that would be a very good parallel to the type of city and the challenges that Camden has experienced. Our city is known as the Invincible City, and to continue to emerge from where it has been, I think it's an apt name for our city and for the spirit of the city and those that are there every day. It's typically gotten a little bit of a bad reputation in the press where they like to dramatize and highlight the very negative, But the one thing about Camden is Camden views itself as a family. I've never experienced a more passionate about their city, a group of residents. I've never experienced residents who are so supportive of their local businesses because they view local businesses and that feeling is mutual, at least in our case, as we're a family and we don't care what people outside of Camden think. We know what we think and we define us. So that's the spirit of the city that really never gets communicated out there. Uh, And it's why I love and I'm so committed to the city and and to the residents themselves. You know, one of the things that we've discussed, and it's become a, you know, something that we see more and more of these days, and CNN has most recently highlighted the challenges of what's being called pharmacy deserts, particularly in these urban communities. And most of the description of a city, when we think of a city like Camden, we think of it as very homogenous as opposed to very diverse. And... At a time in the 50s and 60s, when every community had its own individual pharmacy that served that community and was tailored specifically to the needs of that community, things were a lot better, I think. We need to get back to that because that's not the way it is anymore. Most of the independent pharmacies have been driven out for different reasons. Most of it has to do with chain store incursion. And the chains, once they don't make money in a a community and typically in the urban environments, they leave. And now, who is taking care of them? And again, this critical situation that's been caused of pharmacy deserts was really, I don't wanna say highlighted, but it, the spotlight was shown on how difficult it's becoming in the urban communities without having that neighborhood pharmacy in each of those individual neighborhoods.
0: Tony, it's interesting. That's a wonderful representation of where Camden's been, where it's at now. But as a pharmacy owner and a pharmacist, what type of services do you provide? that specifically target the needs of the residents of Camden? Where do you feel Bell Pharmacy has really succeeded in terms of creating a model to serve the population of Camden?
1: Well, I think it comes from a core principle and a core practice principle, and that is I've never allowed any pharmacy that I've been associated with, most recently Bell Pharmacy, to be defined as a business with customers. We are a practice with patients. That is what we are. We don't focus on a lot of the sundry items and groceries and dollar store. We're not dollar general with a pharmacy in it like so many of our chain competitors are. We're a practice. We're the most accessible practice to most in the community. We're who people are coming to see first. And those interactions are so important because they really determine does a patient seek care that is going to prevent them from going into a hospital visit? Can the pharmacist intervene to help a patient access resources that otherwise they would have to get to a social worker, social services, and that could be a very lengthy process? Or maybe they have to get to a doctor and that's a three or four week waiting time. They come to us and talk to us immediately. And that access is what is so important. And in many ways, we are almost like the concierge of the healthcare profession. The patients come to us with a problem, we discuss the problem with them, and we try to get them in the right direction sooner than later. That's something that I think is different about the way we approach our role versus what you see in so many of the chain stores these days. You're coming there because you have health concerns. You're not coming there because you want bubble gum or motor oil or a TV. So again, as I discussed previously, what's great about being an independent pharmacy is how nimble and how we evolve quickly to the changing needs of a community.
0: One of the things that I want to ask you was, you recently were recognized you were given a Pharmacy Quality Award for the Bell Pharmacy PrEP HIV Prevention Clinic. And I've learned a lot from you about HIV prevention, what PrEP is, and this is really an incredible service that you're providing because you're actually helping patients You're helping them prevent getting HIV by giving them this preventative medication. And it's really a forward-looking business model, I believe, for pharmacy to provide these type of preventative services. Could you give us an idea of how you started this particular model, where it came about, and what type of success you've seen with patients with using the PrEP HIV prevention clinic?
1: Well, the genesis of it was a uh, gay friend of mine who actually came to ask me about something called PrEP. I'd never heard of it. He, and when I looked it up and I saw that it was Truvada, I'm like, well, you know, this has been around for a while. Why have I never heard of this? You know, he, he was concerned that this was like some sort of scam. I went in and when I read what this was all about, I was stunned that this was out it had demonstrated success in Africa, where it had been used for several years between 2012 and approximately 2017. And they were just trying to break it through in America now because the results were so dramatic. But coming from a time in the 80s and 90s, when HIV was the worst thing that could happen to you. And when you contracted HIV, you were going to die of AIDS.
0: I remember we're the same age about, and I remember when HIV hit, it was kind of the COVID of
1: its day. Correct. And You know, nobody ever really came up with a vaccine for it. Nobody came up with a cure. It was about managing and extending quality life years. That was how they used to discuss it back then. Now, what if you could prevent the transmission? And here you had a product that, for all intents and purposes, when taken every day, worked almost like a vaccine. It was something that you are 99% protected from contracting HIV from an HIV-positive partner or, or, or exposure.
0: It's almost like a miracle drug in a way. I mean, listening to it.
1: A miracle drug is exactly what it is, but prescribers remain resistant to embracing it.
0: Why do you think that is? Why were they resistant to embracing
1: it? I think that it comes from a reluctance to discuss lifestyle choices, whether it's with those in the gay community, those who are actually the most impacted, which are those who are IV drug abusers. There's there's a resistance to address this with them and to talk about lifestyle, lifestyle choices, and how this with a combination of lifestyle modifications can really protect you from contracting HIV. It's many of the same hurdles that we faced back in the early days when individuals are contracting HIV and it just seemed like people didn't want to talk about it. Not every provider wanted to be involved with it. And there were a lot of barriers. So what we've always done at Bell Pharmacy is we've tried to remove those barriers to individuals who are trying to access care. And when I looked at this specifically, the first thing that we looked to do was to form a collaborative arrangement with an infectious disease provider that would allow us to prescribe Truvada for PrEP. And we were we were not successful in finding any infectious disease practitioner that was willing to enter into something like that. We did apply to the Board of Medical Examiners. We did eventually find a practitioner that would cooperate with us, and our application has been sitting at the Board of Medical Examiners for three years now, waiting for a yes or a no. But the goal of the model in the early days was to be one-stop prep. You can come in, you could speak to the pharmacist, the pharmacist could discuss prep with you. But the idea was to get the patient initiated on therapy while they were still ready to commence therapy, as opposed to having them Make an appointment with the doctor. That's next week. Three weeks later, you're getting lab work. Two weeks after that, you're getting a prescription. Then you're going to the fund. By that time, people are just, it's not in their minds anymore. You have to begin therapy when patients are ready to begin therapy. And that was what we saw was the biggest hurdle to really getting uh, individuals onto PrEP. So the idea was for the pharmacist to mimic the other successful areas where they were involved in prevention measures. We all know about how pharmacists doing vaccinations and immunizations outside of what would happen in a primary care provider's office. That's relatively new. It's in the last, what, 10 years or so. The pharmacy profession really distinguished themselves in that space and did did an outstanding job with it. Another area was in the prescription of Narcan. Uh, Again, another preventative treatment where pharmacists were able to dispense directly to patient within some clinical parameters and legal parameters with standing, you know, some had standing rules. We had a collaborative agreement before a standing order from the Department of Health, and it allowed pharmacists to dispense directly to patients. And what this basically did, Anthony, was it pharmacists, again, as who the patient is coming to see first, you have that unique ability to interact and to help them make that decision to protect themselves and to protect others by getting them on preventative therapy. When patients come in and we see that they're receiving opiates, there's an opportunity there to have a discussion. Now, obviously, not everybody that's coming into a pharmacy is suffering from opioid use disorder. That said, you do know who is, those who are struggling, and you have that ability to discuss something like Narcan. You have the ability to discuss, is PrEP, a good choice for you. This is where the real value of the pharmacist as a first line provider in the healthcare system is really maximized. And when you're in an impacted area like the city of Camden, who does have a high degree of those suffering with addiction issues, you have the ability to directly touch those lives.
0: Let me ask you this, Tony, as a business model for pharmacy, we always talk about, you know, pharmacies always tell us there are issues with just being a dispensing pharmacy for medication. Do you see this as a future for pharmacies to be able to branch out and provide these types of healthcare services outside of just dispensing medications? Do you see this as a way for pharmacy to be able to expand their business models and actually not just provide more services to the patient, but also provide a bigger footprint in terms of the type of healthcare services that they can provide and the type of revenue that they can make.
1: Sure. I mean, I think you actually said it very well. Kind of leaves very little to be explained, but to expand on it, the pharmacy is medication dispensary is a failed model. You cannot survive these days on Motrin and Zpex. In fact, these days you can't even survive just handling the basic blood pressure medications or cholesterol medications, the competition from the PBMs who have the ability to direct those patients away from Amazon pharmacy, from the Walgreens or CVS down the street, you're continuing to fight over a smaller and smaller and smaller piece of business. When you're managing patients, there's a few things that you're doing. First, you're building a relationship that creates loyalty. And when the patient knows that you've help them achieve a positive result in their lives. If we're talking about the prep model, sure, every month they're going to be getting prep, but now they're also going to be getting everything else from your pharmacy because they view you as a relationship. They don't view you as a dispensary or a rotating cast of characters that comes through a chain pharmacy. And every time you go in there, it's somebody different. You've established a quasi- physician-patient relationship. And as we all know, people are very loyal to their physicians and this establishes the same sort of relationship with pharmacists. And also it's a model that the chains can't duplicate because they have a chain model that has to be applied across the country. Our model is micro-focused on a regional patient population and sometimes even more micro than that, like Parkside within the city of Camden. And you have it as a true concierge service, a true specialized service for those patients in that area. They won't get what they're getting at Bell Pharmacy at the Walgreens a quarter mile away or the right eight and a half a mile up the street. That's not going to happen. They will only be able to get that level of service from Bell Pharmacy. And it's a replicable model that all pharmacies can install and they can tailor that model to their individual patient populations. But pharmacists, and my recommendation to those in independent pharmacy would be is to take stock of your area, see what those needs are. Sometimes that means looking very deeply at what the community needs in terms of what challenges does that community have. And you make yourself the solution to those challenges. If you solve those challenges, those patients will stay with you and they won't allow themselves to be steered to a PBM. And even though the right Aid may be more convenient that day, they will wait and come to you because they have a relationship with you. That's the advantage that independent pharmacy has, that Amazon will never be able to duplicate, that big chains will never be able to duplicate. It's our ability to adapt ourselves very, very quickly to meet the very specific needs of our patients. You're not just another pharmacy you're a specialist, you're an expert in your community about your community. That's the secret sauce.
0: And Tony, the HIV prevention clinic, by having this type of clinic, is that a way for pharmacy to get away from the PBM model to try to get some other sources of revenue and go into different healthcare areas without worrying about PBMs, without dealing with
1: PBMs? What's specific about our model is at least in the state of New Jersey. And I will give New Jersey credit for this. New Jersey does treat independent pharmacy very well. New Jersey does not have a very business friendly reputation among most. I will say they do treat independent pharmacy better than many, if not most other states. HIV medications are all covered. It's a mandatory coverage by insurance. So we're in a a space where PBMs really don't have a lot of latitude. By law, they have to cover these medications. That'll make it a little bit difficult. The idea of restricting patient access to mail order is, it can be done, but PBMs aren't, they don't push the envelope on this one. So in the HIV space, yes, it's a very welcoming business opportunity from that aspect, because if you do it right, you will have customers and patients for life. So, you know, in that regard, it's it's very positive. When we look in the other areas, the other spaces where we, we see a lot of volume and practice, uh, like those with opioid misuse disorder who are undergoing uh, MAT, again, this is an area where New Jersey is very motivated to have any providers working to address this issue. Again, with a few exceptions, PBMs have no ability to restrict access to products like Suboxone for instance, or Narcan to mail order pharmacies. It's got to be done through local pharmacies because that's where the patients are at that moment. So when you go into these specialized areas, uh, yes, that's where the PBMs have a lot less influence and a lot less ability to exert their authority over you without running afoul of New Jersey state regulations.
0: Tony, I want to shift a little bit to the pharmacy benefit managers. I know that's every pharmacy owner's favorite topic or least favorite topic. They're like the three dirty letters, PBM. But tell me a little bit about when you're working and you're trying to serve your patients and the PBM is reimbursing you below your acquisition costs and you're filing these appeals and you're busy trying to serve patients to prevent HIV, you're working at the prep clinic, and you're getting audited, you're getting reimbursed below your acquisition costs, you're trying to run your business and serve your patients. How does that as a pharmacy owner, as a healthcare provider, how does that make you feel when these fortune 10 companies are coming in and making life so difficult for you? and your colleagues to serve your patient. How does that make you feel as just somebody who's trying to help people in the neighborhood?
1: Well, I'll preface what I'm gonna say by saying, if I haven't already, I'm sure when this gets out there, I am going to see a whole lot more audits because of my stance on PBMs and uh, being out there and vocal about the real story with uh, pharmacy benefits managers. Listen, they're there for one reason. They're there to make money for them. They're not there for patient care. They're not there to save anybody money. They worry about making money. They make their money. That's why they're where they are. That's why while everybody else suffered during COVID, they did very well. That's why you know, there are all the vertical integration that we see where PBMs are purchased by massive corporations like Walgreens and CVS and right all have their own PBMs. They all understand that as the rules have been written, the PBMs are untouchable. And that is the pot of gold in the healthcare system, and you've got to have a piece of that because they determine everything. And it was all couched with this idea of savings for the patient. Well, I think we've learned that that's not true. And you keep saying you're saving us money, but somehow we're never really saving money. We're seeing businesses being put out of business, and they're really creating a healthcare system that's nothing more than a shopping mall, for lack of a better term. That's
0: a really good way of putting it.
1: Whereas you once had specialty shops that cater to all different customers. No, you've got one option now because the chain stores have different names. They're all the same. Sure. What logo do you like better? And that's really all that it is. And that's becoming more and more patients-only options. We got to get away from that. Healthcare is affected, again, at the micro level. The PrEP clinic is what's going to end HIV. Independent pharmacists Being involved on the ground in the communities they serve, that's what's going to help address the opioid crisis. That's where we win these battles. And that's where we improve health. That's where we save taxpayers money. That's where we show value to the insurers. That's what all this is about. You know, I think what we've tried to do is in the old days, we I used to do what we call chasing prescriptions. Go out there we try to bring people in. You have different promotions or, you know, you have tchotchkes that you hand out, promotional items. You're trying to get people to keep coming in the stores. But I think we have to move beyond that because a lot still do that. You have to go after larger groups as partners. One of the things that we do is we partner with addiction treatment facilities to manage their patients' medication needs. So you will not only from a business standpoint, acquiring the patients who are on Suboxone every single week or month, depending on how, but you're also getting their other prescriptions and you're working as a concierge or specialist based on each of those individual practices that you partner up with. So by going to these individual practitioners and these individual groups, you have the ability to work outside of that PBM structure, outside of that structure of chasing every cough and cold prescription that's out there that doesn't return very much.
0: Besides being a pharmacist and a pharmacy owner, you're also a former politician. You were the mayor of Cinnamon's in New Jersey. And I think that's very unique. There aren't a lot of pharmacist politicians. There's only maybe a handful in the United States. Every state in the country, New Jersey, New York, Florida, and now the Supreme Court case that you mentioned, a lot of pharmacy owners feel you know, politics is a very slow game. Things take a lot of time to change. It takes years. And a lot of pharmacists say, you know, we support these new laws. We support these PBM reform efforts. But it's just taking too long. What would you say to them, as somebody who is involved in politics, why they shouldn't give up? Why they need to still keep fighting for PBM reform? Why the length of time is not a reason to give up on these PBM reform efforts that are happening around the country?
1: I mean, yes, politics is a long game. That's just the nature of it. The way that our entire system of government is structured is it's not supposed to be fast. It's designed to be a slow process. And those that succeed are those that are patient and stick to a disciplined approach to the process. There's often an old saying that you never remove a man's beard by yanking it all out at once. You pluck it hair by hair. That's the game of politics. And that's the way you will be successful. Rutledge took 30 years for us to get here. And that's how you sort of have to view it. Now, I don't know how long the next one will take, but you have to have that sort of commitment to it. And I'm going to say that as much as people are not going to want to hear this, or maybe it's what they think about politics already, it takes money. It takes money to get your voice out there because there are countless voices in a politician's ear. And right now I could tell you that uh, the PBMs are spending massive amounts of money for their voices to be heard. And if you want your voice to be heard as an individual pharmacist, you have to seek out the professional organization that is going to help you. Or if many of us get our lesser voices into one organization, now it starts to become a big voice. And politicians recognize those voices that they hear all the time they recognize those organizations that they perceive as being supportive of their agenda so it takes involvement the one thing i've talked about with you and i'll close up with this because i think it's a really good spot anthony is i've been a member of ipa and gspo god since their inception but just because you're involved in, in another organization or another buying group doesn't mean that you cannot be involved and supportive uh, from a political standpoint to an organization like IPA or like GSPO, but join those organizations, pay a membership fee, participate at the political level. All pharmacist issues, no matter where you are in pharmacy, are independent pharmacy issues. Every single one of them, whether you're in a hospital, whether you're in a chain store, whether you're a nuclear pharmacy or the VA, all pharmacy issues start with independent pharmacy issues. And we have to remember that if we want our voices to be heard, we have to support those like IPA, like GSPO, that are out there fighting for us. The other side's spending millions of dollars. If we're just spending thousands of dollars, we're at least getting there. But spending no dollars, you don't exist. Adapt to the game, get involved. Financially support IPA and all the rest of the groups. Select one. Financially support it, support them. You will see more victories. One of the reasons we are where we are in New Jersey, and I say that we're not so bad, Anthony, is because of the support that is seen from IPA and GSPO historically. People think that they have to be in one and can't be in another. I mean, I'm in GSPO and IPA.
0: Right, exactly. And you know, a lot of pharmacy owners don't realize, and they ask me all the time, "Well, look, I'm a member of this one group. I'm a member of your group, but..." can I donate to both? And I say, sure, you can donate to both because it's all going to the same pot. It's going to the same issue. All the groups, especially in New Jersey, they're all working on the same page. And we're all donating to the same folks for the same causes. So I always tell them, of course, donate to everybody because it's only going to help. So, you know, if we want
1: to keep up that progress, we've got to be supportive.
0: Tony, very well said. Thank you for being on my first podcast. It's been an honor, and you've provided a lot of valuable information, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank
1: you. Thanks for the opportunity, Anthony. As you can see, I'm a talker, so you just put something in front. That's the politician part of me. Absolutely. Put a microphone in front of my face, and I just talk and talk and talk.
0: Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the president and CEO, John Polo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much and bye for now.